I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of I've Never Had an Original Thought with me, Becky Lee. This week I'm joined by the amazing Alice Eve, who is an emerging interdisciplinary art producer and a graduate of 2020. She's part of a small team at Plosive, an award-winning company who create live comedy shows, festivals and audio content, including the multi-award-winning podcast Off Menu with Ed Gamble and James Acaster. She's also the co-founder and executive producer of Mainstay Creatives, a not-for-profit social enterprise working with young people and within communities to develop artistic projects that inspire confidence, skill development and creativity. As well as producing, she's also a full-time keen bean who's absolutely making it up as she goes along. I hope you really enjoyed this conversation with Alice today because I learned so much from her um, and I think it could be really helpful and important to people that are really looking to get started in the arts and as always how you can find Alice and how you can reach out is at the end of the podcast. Enjoy! Bye! Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Never Had an Original Thought. This week I am joined by Alice Eve. Hi, um, thank you so much for having me on today. Thank you um, I'm Alice Eve, I am an emerging early career producer um, and a recent graduate and I've recently started working in comedy um, and I'm doing lots of bits and bobs all over. I tend to call myself an interdisciplinary arts producer which sounds really overly fancy but basically just means I have commitment issues um so that's that's a little bit about me that's <laughs> thanks for having me so exciting I can't wait to go into all of that but the question I ask everyone first is who or what is maybe one person idea or event that has changed the way that you've seen the world amazing so I have really had like uh some trouble trying to think of an answer to this and it made me realize oh maybe I'm really stubborn and I just am really unwilling for my worldview to change but um and this is going to make me sound very chronically online but I don't know if any you or any of your listeners are on TikTok but recently bear with me on this one um Mamma Mia in the West End held open auditions right Mm -hmm. and my whole TikTok feed was filled with all thousands and thousands and thousands of hopeful young people queuing up and trying to get into these Mamma Mia auditions. And obviously a lot of them were really disappointed. Essentially what happened was they saw the first 2,000 people and then turned everyone else away and over 5,000 people had shown up. So a lot of disappointment on that day. Um, And it kind of got my brain thinking because as an emerging early career producer, something that constantly occupies my brain and something that I really want to develop my practice around as I sort of progress through my career is really thinking about all the things that we take as like standard or basic ways that we have to operate things in the industry and kind of trying to alienate myself from that as producers can be like you know uh, we can introduce change in the industry so something really big for me is like oh well how can we change those mechanisms that we just take for granted and I was looking at that open audition process and I just thought this is nuts, this is mad. And obviously there are benefits to open auditions and seeing new faces that perhaps aren't with agents, but is it benefiting anyone if 5,000 people show up up to one day of auditions? It's not good for the people showing up. It's not good for the casting agents. And basically I just had this really long chat with a couple of my really good friends who are trained in the industry. And we got thinking about these like mad, mad, mad ideas about, well, what if we had like 
mega open audition days that were held all across the country. So people from the north weren't disadvantaged by trying to travel down south. We were eliminating things like, you know, hotels and transport costs and stuff like that. And what if it was essentially like a big, like Comic-Con where all the different West End productions who were looking to cast within the next, say, two years can come and it's like separate open auditions and, you know, just more tailored. And like, what if we all worked together and had these centralized opportunities rather than just asking everyone to cart down to London and pay insane prices and stuff so it's not really a specific thing that has changed my idea but it was yeah something feeding in and contributing to all those different ideas of why do we do things in this stupid way why do we ask stupid things of people and why do we put people through unnecessary stress and that goes for creative streams as well as like hopeful audition needs um so yeah, the reason I give that anecdote is it's kind of just an idea of every single, t- I feel like every week I look at something and I think, hang on a minute, what, what are we doing here? And obviously as an early career producer, there is very little at this current stage that I can do to enact yeah. these big changes. But I'm realising as I go and I sort of um, steal little bits of experience from this area or this area, like that thought about um, those mummy auditions, I used to do some work for the Musical Theatre Network, which is an organisation which represents emerging music theatre writers and performers from all across the country. And it was because of that time there that I think I challenged my ideas about, like, why are open auditions good? What challenges do people from non-London-based locations face specifically when it comes to musical theatre? So that was a very long and roundabout anecdote. Um, But, yeah, I'm constantly trying to force myself to um, challenge the way that we do everything in theatre or the arts so, yeah no, I agree it's super interesting as well because especially when it's such I mean we'll go into this more but I always find that you have to have an immense amount of privilege to be able to like hmm. what if you have a second job and you know you want to be a performer and you just can't get that day off of work 100% and this was so much of the problem is that so many people had like you know beg borrowed and steeled and got this day off of work to come and then just be shown away and I have sympathy with the like the the people that run those auditions as well because you know it could be really easy for them to just do a private audition not want to see anyone um you know they could easily do that there's enough people out of work that have agents that they could easily yeah. fill a rehearsal and on audition like room but then it's just looking at these things. And I think, especially as a lot of people in the arts are really, really actively trying to like make things better in terms of like, you know, class inclusion and diversity. And that's talking, you know, like race diversity, ability diversity, like all, all the different intersecting things because the arts is an incredibly like white privileged space. Yeah. Um, not that it should be, but still it, you know, persists. And they have these sort of like, everyone's really trying their best, but at the same time, like some of that, I'm just thinking like, isn't that more damaging even to an extent that somebody's like lost a day of paid work, they're coming all this way, paying for that just to be turned away. And it's a monumental effort. And it just takes like some people going out on a limb being like, what if we try this thing and it might not work? And obviously that requires time and money, which famously in the arts is lacking. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. (laughs) No, that's interesting. Okay, we'll go into that in a minute. But mm-hmm. for now, I want to learn a bit more about you. And obviously, you self-described as an early career producer. So what what do you get up to? And how did you get into it? And how were you like, this is what I want to do? 100%. So um, I went to the University of Warwick, and I did English and theatre. Um, Uni of Warwick. We're, big, we're, we're all University of Warwick fans on this podcast. Amazing. <laughs> Love that. And um, yeah, so I started in 2017. And I didn't know what a producer was until I went to Warwick and I went to a woods um, workshop in like one of my first couple of weeks uh, run by somebody, a wonderful uh, lady who is now working in casting and producing herself. So you can see how absolutely like... And Woods is the Drama Society. Yes, Woods, Warwick University Drama Society. Um, So yeah, I went to a workshop of of like what is a producer because I was the keenest bean and like went to literally everything and I was like oh I don't know what a producer is let's go find out and then I was just absolutely gobsmacked like the only notion I had of what a producer was was seeing the rolling credits of a movie and it was like Jerry Bruckheimer or like Warner Bros and I was like oh my god and I think like I didn't go to a school that had like an insane arts budget I might like the peak of my um like 
career as an artist before going to university was I played Tracy in our school production of Hairspray. And then I went to convent schools. So I got the opportunity to write and direct The Passion Play, which for those of you non-Catholics out there, you're missing out. It's basically an Easter production that um, chronicles the death of Jesus. And that was, <laughs> that was my thing that I just absolutely like bulldozed. It was like, hello, I'm writing it and directing it and I'm making it happen. Um, you know, that was the limit. I of, love that. I love that. Thank you. I did actually get in a lot of trouble because I wanted to include um, a song sung by one of the characters, King Herod. He's a villain. He's not, you know, he's not a good guy in this yeah. story. And um, I got told off and brought into a disciplinary meeting with my head of school um, because they didn't think it was church appropriate, even though it was from Jesus Christ Superstar. So, you know, it wasn't like I'm getting him to sing like Doja Cat in the church. You know what I mean? And um, they suggested that I, I like rewrite it. So he sings it al capelco, um, which I think they meant a cappella, as in without <laughs> music. But I have it in writing. It's like maybe you should change it to be al capelco. Um, Anyway, I, I don't that's, so that, that's what I'm, that's, this is what I'm talking about. This is sort of the exposure that I yeah. had to the arts. And then I showed up and, and went to this workshop and I was like, hang on, there's somebody that can be involved in production that gets to work across all the different departments, that gets to sort of potentially be creatively involved, that gets to do this, that and the other. And essentially gets to bring people together and make stuff happen. And yeah. I was like, hmm, that sounds like a bit of me. Yeah. So I promptly, just like with everything, tried to get as many opportunities as I could. Um, and I produced my first ever thing with another society called Fresh Blood, which was the New Writing Society. Um, as a group of first years, we applied for a fund that everyone could apply for. We didn't think we'd get it because we were first years and we did. And yeah, that happened. And I have to say, like, looking back, didn't do a great job as a producer on that one. Um, I was overcommitted and didn't have the time, but it kind of, I got the bug. Um, and I did loads and loads of stuff. I was the president of Music Theatre Warwick and I was really into, like, you know, that organize, like running arts organisations is something that looking back, I re- that's what I spent all my time doing and that's what I loved. All that being said, I was committed to not working in the arts um no one in my family works in the arts uh all of my family basically are teachers and it was just like inconceivable to me that despite being quite good at, you know by the time I'd had a bit of practice at doing what I did and even going to Warwick University you know had all this insane like privilege that came with going to that sort of university and you know I'd gone to the Edinburgh Fringe now and all this like it, the, the jump from actually like being interested in it into actually making it a career yeah unimaginable and I was like oh I'd really like to work in you know maybe like marketing or publishing or something like that and then I graduated in 2020 (laughs) um and could not get a job at all doing anything anywhere um and I basically secretly applied for a master's to the Royal Central School of Speech and Drama um in creative producing because um like I knew that my like my mum had worked really really hard just to get me through a BA so the idea of suddenly turning around and worrying her about an MA even though if I was applying I was going to pay for it myself but I just knew it'd be a concern and I didn't think I'd get in um I did get in (laughs) um and I then have to tell my family that I'd secretly applied for a master's and got into this very prestigious course um so yeah then in what was it yeah September September 2020, yeah. I started at the Royal Central School of Speech and Drama on their creative producing MA. And yeah, I, I got loads of experience um, through that. It was hard because it was still pandemic times. And I think it was for some people in my course sort of really difficult because, you know, we'd come in with these expectations and things just kept changing. But to cut a long story short, I did loads and loads of placements, far more than I was supposed to, much like I did at Warwick. And I did lots of different work experiences in lots of different places. I wrote my master's dissertation on um, how we can look at venues and the way that venues are run in terms of what we do to support freelance artists, because I was really disappointed the whole way through the pandemic, mm-hmm. the way that the venues let those freelance staff down. Yeah. And that's what I kind of mean about like thinking of these like institutions in our industry and like what we can do to instruct yeah. them to make them work for us. And then I graduated, interviewed for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of jobs and applied for a really random job that I didn't think I'd get because I didn't really know anything about it. And somehow they took a chance on me. And now I work with 
I feel like I'm allowed to say who, yeah, I'm, it's going to come up at some point. I work for a company called Plosive who uh, do comedy stuff and they work across festivals, podcasts, live events, um, touring, all sorts of comedy things. And despite not having much experience in comedy and certainly not having any experience in making podcasts, um, they brought me on as their junior member of their team and I'm absolutely loving it. We love to hear it. Sorry, that was like the longest introduction ever. <laughs> I loved every second of it. So what's your what's your day-to-day like as a producer then? Yeah, so um, it's, it's a weird one because I think as a producer, you have like a job title in the thing that you're doing that like earns you the money and then your vocation. So vocationally, I describe myself as a producer and then the role that I do with Implosive, which is a production company. So it is also yeah. a production. I'm a junior member, so I'm doing, um, I'm assisting on productions, but I'm doing administration, I'm doing marketing, I'm doing sort of all, all sorts. So it really varies. Like a day in the office can involve me sitting at my laptop all day and, you know, looking at sales reports and and pushing shows and creating marketing plans and going into meetings to do that it can also involve a day that we've got a lot of artists and comedians in and on some of those days it's about making sure those artists feel comfortable and getting coffees for them and like (laughs) showing them around the office and then some days you know it's a really production heavy day I've just come off the back of the world's comedy festival which was down in Somerset And those were like insanely busy days. And I was managing teams of volunteers and making sure productions went up and down on time, along with a huge team of other people doing that. So it really varies. Good. It sounds it sounds quite demanding, but it does sound fun. Yes, I think that is the way to describe it. I think anyone that works in the arts, but I suppose particularly with production at the end, like I, I am by no means like, you know, I'm the junior member of this team, but when you work in production, the kind of buck stops with you. Like there's nobody else that's going to put in those hours. If something needs to get done, you're the people that have to put in those hours. So it is incredibly rewarding looking at a thing being like, ah, we made that happen. But then some days there are late nights. There's like, it's not a nine to five job. There's weekend work, you know? So yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Um, And what about like the people behind you that have helped you get there along the way? Like who would you say some of your inspirations or mentors yeah, I've had such an incredible stream of like women in my life. Um, and some, most of them directly, you know, I didn't grow up wanting to be a producer. I didn't know what it was. It's only very recently that that like w- came to me that that is what I'm supposed to be doing. But, you know, I had, I had dance teachers growing up that I knew like my whole childhood that like supported my confidence and, and gave me a voice in a room and, you know, made me feel empowered to just to go into any space and know that my voice was valued I grew up in a very like female strong environment so I don't feel intimidated by being the only woman in the room which sometimes happens like if you're working in like a tech heavy side yeah you look around and you think oh you know I might be one of the only women in this room I work in tech and Um, I am the only woman in the room most of the time yeah exactly and you know that's not a problem but I think you know I I grew up in an environment where it didn't even to my mind that that would be yeah. an issue you know I had music teachers I had teachers at school that really supported me um I'd, I honestly if I started to like name individual people I'd get emotional I, I yeah. would feel like I was missing people out and you know I had incredible lecturers at Warwick and the course leader at Central really pulled out a lot of stops to like help me when I joined at Central again the pandemic messed me up loads I was like grafting and grafting and grafting just to be able to afford like what I was doing and I was yeah. on a scholarship and then I lost my job again because of the pandemic, like that was funding my master's and she was able to help like find me work that I could do. So it, honestly, it's like a stream of people making little bets on you. I think there's not one person that is like, yeah. God, you're a star kid. Um, and it's just a lot of people doing their bit for you along the yeah. way. And looking back for me, I can see how each of them has like made me into sort of the young woman that I am that feels confident enough to take on challenges and throw myself in at the deep end because I think you know people say fake it till you make it and yes that's true but it's also just like throwing yourself into the deep end and knowing that you probably will mess up a lot it's not even like faking it and pretending you can do it you won't be able to do it but it's just people consistently giving you chances yeah that's good and I feel like you probably need that in the arts especially yeah yeah I think that is something you know I think people talk about personality and it's the same whether you're like an actor or any sort of creative I think people talk about how like the way you are as a person can really define like how much willing people how how willing Mm. people can be like help you and take a bet on you and 
yeah, I just think there kind of is no off time. Like it is, it is vocational and it's not a case of like, oh, well, I work really hard in my job and then I leave the office and I'm not, I'm not advocating for like hustle culture or anything like that, but it's about being like a personable person that people want to take a chance on you. Um, And that is kind of full time. You've got to be willing to meet new people and make connections all the time. I think people who knew me when I was at Warwick will know that I was like constantly networking, always networking. (laughs) Even with my friends, I was like, oh, networking, networking. Um, And it is that, like, it's just constantly being aware of where those Mm. connections might be and knowing that that person might not be able to help you now. But when they see, you know, you on a year's time on LinkedIn, you know, there were, um, I recently came back to the University of Warwick to lecture on being a producer. And that came about because one of the theatre lectures lecturers who I'd actually never worked with I'd never done one of their modules but they followed me on Twitter and kind of kept up to date with things that I was doing and because they knew that I was active in the society stuff even though I didn't actually do any of their modules then they saw what I was yeah. doing sort of using and I went and taught on producing at Warwick which was insane that's so cool I love that and I always like people always say that to me like oh networking so important but I think you know, me a year ago, I would just find that so cringe. I, you know, like you get scared that it's this transactional nature of like, what can you do for me? What can I do for you? But the more that I chat to people, the more people just want, people just want to make the world, I don't know, people just want to make the world a better place and they want to meet people. I don't think it's as, potentially for some people, it is quite a transactional place. Yeah. But it's not as scary as I thought. Yeah, and I also think ultimately that transactional, if you approach it transactionally, like you can get high reward immediately, but those relationships don't have like the depth to them that other ones do. And looking at the people that I work with now, the people, I'm in awe of my team, honestly. They they are just so highly respected Mm. because they're good at what they do. And that networking comes about because... It's not like, hi, I'm what can I do for you? It's yeah. like people gravitate towards them because they know that they're good at their job and they know that they know what they're doing and they know that they treat their teams well and stuff. And it, it's kind of like, people talk about it in terms of like dating and stuff, but like if, if you're giving off a confident energy and you're like happy in yourself, those people will come and those connections will come. So rather than like, it, it, it's not a dirty word. Like networking isn't a dirty word. It's not like climbing up the greasy pole or like trying yeah. to steal away people's time. It's it's making connections and yeah. it's like-minded people realising that they care about the same things and might work well together. That's, yeah. that's what it is. Yeah, definitely. I agree. Um, and I think it helps a bit, I mean, you know, we touched on it earlier, like how often it can be quite hard to get into the arts and entertainment industry because it's still such a privileged place. I mean, I know, especially in like the publishing industry, for example, or journalism, mm-hmm. so many unpaid opportunities that people mm-hmm. that have the ability to work unpaid shifts can take up and other yeah. people just can't do that. And I think like, you know, showrunners and things like that, they tend to be not too well paid as far as I'm yeah. aware. So how did you find, like now that you're in it, are you mm-hmm. still like, no, actually I think it is accessible or is there still work to be done? God, I mean, I use a metaphor and I've had this metaphor kind of like in my head my whole life. I recently said it to um, to like somebody who was doing some like mentoring through Central and sort of who like helps working with, yeah. you know, the students who are having a difficult time. And they were like, oh, my God, I'm going to use that now. So I'm hoping that that is validation enough for me to use it now. But um, I kind of talk about how I how I am where I am, as in like everybody gets a certain portion of like a deck of cards when you start out in life and like in a game of poker you can strategically use those cards and if you use them right then you get more cards and more chips yeah. and you know things like that and obviously you know privilege is cumulative it that that is how it works and I look back at like my life and career so far and I do include like my university time and my later years at school as my career because it's what I was doing I yeah, didn't know at the time, but that's what I was doing um and it's kind of sad. It sounds like a sad way to describe it, but I suppose it is the nature of it. But I look and I think if I played any one of those cards differently, I wouldn't be where I was. Like, it is as simple as that. Like, you know, I had, you know, I was raised by a single mum. I didn't grow up in London and I grew up in Essex. So that's not far from London at all. But even that just felt like such a huge barrier of like getting over. We, we don't know anyone who works in London in the arts. You know, it's all these little things. And, and let's, let's be... Uh, Let's be transparent here. I'm a cis white lady, you know, like I, in the t- in terms of like born privilege, I'm quite high on the scale. Yeah. Um, you know, so 
yeah, I talk about like having those cards and playing them right. And some people can make bad hands and have endless cards like as backups and they don't have to spend that mental energy thinking about if I don't do this exactly right and exactly strategically, then, and I think people, if you're not in that situation, you don't understand the mental labor that, that goes into that. So that's kind of the preface. I chose to do the master's uh, because for me, I was like, clearly I can't do anything else in this year. So I can either sit at home and be unemployed or take out another loan to <laughs> add to my absolutely monumental student loan and try and make something of it. And I sort of didn't see it as an academic course. I just saw it as an, like a networking opportunity because I was like, I don't know these people. If I go to London, if I do this thing, I will know some people. And hopefully if I graft and I graft and I graft, one of those things might turn into a full-time job. And I don't think that a lot of like arts training should be a master's course. Like I look back on it and I'm, I'm grateful for what it had me, gave me. And that's what I had it available to me at the time. Do I think you should have to pay £11,000 to do a course and move to London? Absolutely not. Like mm. I'm not an advocate for doing, you know, it was what was right for me and the opportunity was there. Um, so that was like a trade-off that I had to make. And luckily I was in a position that, I worked really hard and like financed myself through that and I got a scholarship. Um, but there's a lot of unpaid work which shouldn't exist. Um, there's a lot of poorly paid work that shouldn't exist. And something that really frustrated me was a real lack of like centralization of opportunities. So unless you're on theatre Twitter or like you follow people on LinkedIn, you don't even know that some of those jobs are coming yeah. up. Um and also the other sort of thing, particularly as a producer, but also like across like the theatre arts, is a real lack of salaried work. And for me, stylistically, the way I create, I don't want to be a freelancer. Like in an ideal situation, I feel very, I don't, I, I can't, I don't feel like I can feel rooted in my work if yeah. I'm constantly, if I'm doing this for six months, this for six weeks. Some people, it's really great for their creativity. But even if I had wanted to be a freelancer, there is no way absolutely no way this early in my career that I could pursue that yeah just because I don't have like a financial safety net there's no yeah backup for me so I absolutely commend anyone who's doing it um so yeah it's there are ways that you can get through and there are organizations tons and tons of organizations that are trying to help young people kind of break into the arts but it is it is a grind. It is a grind. And I just feel incredibly lucky that kind of my bet paid off because it did feel like a bet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, I had a thought off the back of what you're saying. And again, how like, you know, you call people that work freelancers, but I'm thinking that's just the gig economy. Like it's another mm. way to just like the gig economy of people like having to just go from like, uh, like, as you said, like a lack of safety net kind of like opportunity to like opportunity. And you're mm-hmm. right, if you don't have that safety net or if you don't have multiple streams of income that would mm. be so like that must be terrifying yeah and it's and yeah the thing is like I know that I'm suited to like salaried arts work and there's a lot of people that don't want to be doing yeah. that work they kind of find themselves in that situation because it's the work that's available and as part of my master's dissertation as I say I like there's um, a really really interesting anybody that wants to like work in the arts I would absolutely commend you reading this thing called the big freelancers report it's available through the organization freelancers make theatre work and it basically it can be quite a sad read at sometimes because mm. you just realize like how hard it is like there's a statistic and like this is not a direct quote I've not read this report <laughs> like in like six months since I wrote it but it's it's something like te- like about 10% of people under the age of 25 who work as freelancers earn more than £21,000 a year. So like 90% of the young people who are like identifying as freelancers do not earn like the London... Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Wage across And when the, the industry is so London-centric as well, mm-hmm. how can they mm-hmm. expect to do that to people? Yeah, and you know, and there's not not to be a downer, but there's like other statistics that you, you know, you know, black women and, and trans people are like sixty eight percent more likely to like leave the industry or not speak up when wow. they're not being treated well because the job anxiety is so real. Yeah. And this is kind of why I wrote my dissertation of what what I want to write about because at the end of the day, freelance work completely upholds the industry. Like the number of salaried jobs is so few, and the arts industry, and particularly like theatre and comedy and all of that, doesn't work without freelancers. It simply doesn't. And so we really, those of us in those salaried positions, like really, really, really need to actively think about, right, well, I'm not using 10% of my brain energy today to work out where my next job is going to be. Yeah. Can I redirect 10% of that energy into the company that I work in and think about ways that we can centre our work around freelancers? Because that's who the work is for yeah we're just we're just here like making sure the building's running or like making sure that the cogs keep turning um so yeah gig gig culture gig economy Mm. it's a flawed system um that requires work (laughs) and also like I'm sure there's less sort of labor privileges that they get if they're in like Mm -hmm. if they're a freelancer they don't have I don't know what they do about their pension, for example. I mean, it's such a boring thing, but that's important. No, it is important. And, you know, there's, yeah, there's just so many things that you don't think about. And far be it from me to sit here and chat about being a freelancer, having just been like, I could never be a freelancer. Like, yeah, I really wouldn't want to do it. I'd do it if I had to, but like, it's not the working style that suits me and creatively it's not for me. But for people looking to go into freelance work more than anyone else, like you need like a support network. You need, um, and as a as a, like a a group of artists as well, like as a generation, as as an industry, we need to petition like organisations to take more responsibility of yeah. their freelancers because it can't be on freelancers to do all that admin themselves. Um, and there's a, like a there's a list um, at the bottom of this report that are like um, things that like venues or like again if like you're a production company and you get people in and out to do bits, like what can you do to like centre freelancers in your work? Yeah. And some of them are like so small. It's like have desks available so that freelancers who come into your building have somewhere to work. Yeah. And you think, oh my God, and give them a printing allowance. Let freelancers print in your office. And you think, oh, if you're a stage manager and you're printing out millions of scripts and you work freelance, some organizations won't cover you on that. And you might get it in expenses, but then do you have the income? Like, do you have yeah, the available? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, read the big freelancers report as promoted by Alice Eve. <laughs> um, yeah, it's great. Yeah, cool. I want to pivot slightly. And mm. I know, so this is a bit of a cheeky question, but everyone's <laughs> going to be desperate to know the answer. So mm. obviously you do comedy production. Couple, yes. of, couple of famous names in there yeah. that you work yeah, with. <laughs> what, are, what are James Acaster and Ed Gamble like? Yeah, so I don't know if any of you podcast listeners listen to another podcast called Off Menu. Not as good um, as this one. <laughs> of course of course um and plosive the company that i work for we produce off menu so uh james and ed uh we, we're really lucky we have a recording studio in our office so that's where they come to record 
um, the episodes and they are very lovely people. They are really wonderful and they just have this really lovely way in the same way that you do of really bringing out a lovely flavour and comfort in their flavour. That was an unintentional pun there. Um, you know, really bringing out a lovely side of all their guests. And I think one of my favourite things about what they do, and it's something that I sort of didn't appreciate until I was listening to every episode and like working on promoting it and stuff yeah. is that the complete range within that podcast like to have one episode that has got a comedian on and they're literally sat like nearly wetting themselves with laughter the whole way through the episode and then to have another episode that has got this chef that is talking about their culture and the way that their story interacts with you know everything that they are and their being so that two completely different things but to unite them under the same podcast and also for all of the episodes to still have that very like distinct off menu flavor again I'm gonna go for it again is something that I really really commend them for so yes lovely lovely people (laughs) and how's like how do you find the podcasting as how's that specifically and what advice would you give to someone who maybe listened to a lot of podcasts and is like that's what I want to do yeah so as somebody that didn't didn't know Mm -hmm. that podcasting was somewhere that I might end up uh somebody that prior casting didn't listen to a lot of podcasts I think the main thing and this kind of actually goes for like any arts job is that you can't always get experience in the thing that you want to do like sometimes it's just not possible you know some people can create their own podcast but if you know you can't always get experience in what you want to do but if you get experience adjacent to it or if you get like if you want to work in any sort of uh, like podcast production or like theater production working in like an event management role even within like Mm. hospitality or like anything like that gives you those skills like people talk about transferable skills and it is real it then just is on you if you do get the opportunity to do a two-day low-paid free thing at your weekend that you don't have to take time off for that can like connect those experiences together and all of a sudden your three years in hospitality has got that little sprinkle of like and I'm interested in the arts and I'd say the same for podcasting, you know, it's listen to your podcasts, really work out what it is you like about them. It's the same as anything, like try and develop a critical eye for it and get adjacent experience because there are many, oh, uh, there are only so many like actual like podcast producing roles, but there's this whole network of other things, which is like me, you know, I'm a step away from actually like creating the podcast, but all of a sudden I'm in this podcast world. Um, So adjacent experience is my recommendation that's really good advice thank you I'm sure people are going to really appreciate that and okay I want to move slightly on to like a couple of your passion projects because I also think they're incredibly Mm. interesting so obviously a good friend of yours Vicky and actually actually did a module with Vicky um yeah (laughs) I I I like her a lot she's a cool gal um but she was kind of like from like the main head of Mainstay Creatives and um, mm-hmm. which you you play a large part in still um, and obviously it's this like creative arts organization but what I was really interested in when I was reading about it is the the way that it centers around young people and um, mm-hmm. so why was it important for you to get involved in such a thing? Um, so for those of you who don't know, Mainstay, Mainstay Creatives is a not-for-profit social enterprise and a social enterprise is uh, an up-and-coming sort of buzzword that is used to describe businesses and organisations that re-invest um, like a significant chunk of their profit like back into communities, back into organisations and, and stuff like that. That's all that means. Um, and what we do is we work with young people and within communities in order to provide arts and creative experiences that aren't just centered around getting on a stage and performing even though that's some of what we do um and we're really focused on using the arts and creativity in order to bring out confidence in order to educate people about going into the arts industry in order to sort of highlight all the different lateral ways that the arts can uh, better improve the lives of young people and communities so the first day that I met Vicky, we did the weekend show <laughs> at Music Theatre Warwick and she told me that sort of when she grows up, she wanted to sort of run her own organisation and she wanted to work with young people. So when September 2020 rolled around and I sort of announced to everyone, I was like, oh, I'm going to be a producer now. Sorry, guys. Having said that, I definitely wasn't going to do that. That's what I'm doing. Um, she like ne- nearly immediately called me up and was like, hey, um, I've actually just been given this opportunity to do this thing. Um, and I have this idea, 
and I need a producer. Are you in? And me being the yes man, I said, yes, absolutely. Um, and Vicky was actually the vice president of music theatre Warwick when I was the president. So we have this really, really, really great working relationship. And yeah, we've, we've kind of gone step by step to there. It's been through so many evolutions and so many changes and I've learned such a huge amount. And I think this is another thing about gaining experience and you're doing it yourself, like creating your own podcast. Like the amount that I've learned from the the work that I do with Mainstay and like running my own organization and doing a lot of the like business admin of that. Like we're now a limited by guarantee company, like through company's house. If you look us up, you'll find our company number, like all that paperwork and all that legal stuff. There's no way I would have got that experience in my little junior salary job, which I love. Mm. Um, So yeah, that's a little bit about Mainstay Creatives. (laughs) And where are you taking it? Like what are the next sort of projects that you're doing there? 100%. 100%. So I'm not going to downplay how difficult it is. Like running no, I can imagine. a business. Yeah. I did, <laughs> running a business along a full-time job. And when I say full-time, it's not nine to five. It's like, oh, also Saturdays and Sundays and the whole of August you're in Edinburgh and all these things, plus being a new graduate and all the other things that being a young person, you know, yeah. that, that is on your plate. It's hard. So I think things go at a slow pace, but mm. I think something that Vicky and I, definitely have in mind is like slow and steady and like with a real real understanding about what it is we're doing and a real distillation of our values and mission is so much more valuable than just like jumping from thing to thing so we recently did a project back at the Warwick Arts Centre just by chance um as part of their young artist festivals we worked with some young creatives and developed um a piece of work over the term vivacity um which was the name of the festival um, so there's lots that we want to do. We want to start running sort of classes with young people through schools and other youth centres. Mm. Um, it's really important that those stay affordable for the people yeah. that are sort of coming to them. In the future, we'd love to do sort of more one-off events like we did at Vivacity. We'd love to introduce sort of like summer holiday and school holiday programmes um, and essentially just take it step by step. And it's really important that we remain responsive to the needs of the people that we're working with. Yeah. So whilst we have ideas of what we might like to do, um, at the end of the day, it's going to be led by what funding is available mm. and what opportunities we might be able to actually make with people rather than just setting up a thing and being like, come to our class. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. That's interesting as well. And my one of my colleagues always talks about like different balls that you have to juggle and some will always bounce back. And I think yeah. when you have something creative like that that you love, it's always there and it's like a bouncing ball that you can always like come back to it. Whereas like mm-hmm. some other things, if you, if you drop the ball, it might smash and you just... You just want to keep hold of that ball. You know, like just your yeah. wellness. Don't drop that yeah. ball. Yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. And I think like especially if you're somebody that is flirting with the idea of like making your own company and also having to do that alongside salad work, because yeah. we don't all have the time to not work and sit and wait for our company to be I mean, kudos to you. I would love it if I could do that, but here we are. Um I also love my salaried work too much to sort of give it up. Um, I think don't be afraid of like that sort of like long ball, like you say, like mm-hmm. there are periods where Vicky and I are on calls like all the time and you know, we're like, we can get this opportunity, we can get this opportunity. And sometimes when we don't have the headspace, because it also is it's important for us as partners, I think that's one of the benefit of being partners, is we look after each other and we often voice note each other. And sometimes we'll have an idea about mainstay, but you start the voice note with this is mainstay stuff. If you don't want to hear it, just don't listen to it right now. Or like yeah. it's mainstay stuff, but it's not urgent. Listen to it when you can, because we know that in order for us to have a long-lasting relationship, we have to account for each other's like ebbs and flows. And like yeah. when one of us is feeling run down or just like less able to do it either the other one can pick up the slack or we can say look let's just like let's take the foot off the like gas for a little bit let's just like make sure we're well because we can't help other people if we're exactly not well ourselves so yeah yeah 100 percent um okay and i want to talk about in our own words as well um Mm -hmm. what's that all about yeah so this is actually a, a, a cool anecdote as well in case if there's anyone listening that's like looking to sort of think like oh how can I turn experience into like actual valuable stuff this Here is a guess. cool anecdote yeah <laughs> so um in our own words is a project that uh is being produced by a company called Ice and Fire they're based uh where I am in London in East London and it essentially is developing a piece of a baiting piece of theatre that talks about sex education but they're developing it with young people aged like 11 to 18 and once we have got all that verbatim content and stuff it's going to be developed into a piece of theatre that is then hopefully going to tour around the country and go into schools and sort of be a platform for you know we've all had like theatre stuff coming to schools but I think this is really special because 
it's in their own words. Yeah, um, that's exciting. So, yeah, it is really exciting. And the company Ice and Fire, they are a theatre company that put uh, tell human rights stories through theatre. So um, their background, they've worked a lot with like refugee and migrant communities. And so their work and this piece they're really in a good position to try and make it as intersectional as possible because it's not just a case of representing sex ed in young people's own words, it's ensuring that young people's voices who are not represented in the curriculum mm. um, are respected and amplified as part of that. Um, so that all came about because I came to London in September of 2020, ready to start my master's. And because I essentially, the way that I described it, had like bought myself one more year of like working for free. Um, I messaged every single theatre company in East London that I could find on Google Maps. And I said, hey, look, I know it's a pandemic. I know that you might have had to let staff go or you might be having a really difficult time. I'm just starting this master's. If you need any help doing anything, let me know. I'm doing a master's, but I would love to volunteer my time. Yeah. Nobody replied to me except uh, the lovely Christine at Ice and Fire, which I completely get because unsolicited emails are really tricky to respond to when you've got a million things yeah. on. And she said, oh, it's really interesting you say that. We actually really need some help um, doing some outreach and bits and bobs for this project. So at this point, they just needed someone like administrative to like look up different places that they could approach in order to try and set up these workshops to work yeah. with young people. So it was one of the sort of boring admin producer jobs. But I thought, look, I've got one year to work for free. I'm going to do the boring yeah. jobs and work for free and get that on my on my CV. Yeah. So did that, volunteered for a bit, said I can do it up until Christmas and then sort of my course picks up a bit. Yeah. So blah, blah, blah. January comes around and she says, Alice, um, the contacts that you gave us were like some of the, like most of that, you know, we're actually able to really get workshops out of them rather than just emailing people and not hearing anything back. And we really need more of it. How would you feel about coming and doing some paid production work for us? Um, so I essentially upscaled what it was that I was doing. So I transformed that volunteering experience into something that was paid. Mm. And again, like I, I didn't, well, I didn't need the money because I'd lost my job over Christmas, but it, I wasn't doing it for the money. But, yeah. you know, it was nice to have it, but it was about stepping up and leveling up that experience into something a bit more tangible. And yeah, so I was contacting uh, theatres up in Liverpool. I was working with like um, trans rights charities. I was... Um, working with Open Drama UK, which is sort of like the network that connects teachers all across the country. Mm. And just doing loads of sort of essentially outreach and marketing work through them, which was great for my experience and, and great for them. And there were further opportunities that sort of came up that they wanted to involve me in the project at a later time. But now that I had the salaried work and stuff, yeah. that unfortunately couldn't go through. But, but yeah, that's it's a really exciting project. So I'm really glad I got to be like a little tiny part of it. Yeah, and I love talking about sex and sex education and mm -hmm. I think it's so important I mean you mentioned that you went to like what a convent school I can't even imagine <laughs> the sex education that you got there oh, oh well I actually think I was quite lucky like really? we did have sex chats and we were told that um you know it's not about abstinence you can you, you I know it was quite forward That's thinking I, I do remember that I missed <laughs> I don't know I assume this isn't too explicit it's sex ed sex no, ed isn't too explicit um I remember quite <laughs> I missed the um lesson in sex ed that we had on our PSHE lessons about how to put a condom on because we had bananas and there were condoms Classic. because I was at choir practice <laughs> and I was like severely concerned as like a, a 13 14 year old I was like I've missed this really important sex ed lesson because I was a choir rehearsing for the Christmas carol concert. So I had to go to my male form tutor and be like, I don't know how to put a condom on a banana. <laughs> and um, he actually, like, he was like, we'll do a catch-up session. Oh, my God. And, like, there was a couple of us that had missed it in choir. Yeah. So it was a very awkward, like, out, not out of hours. That makes it sound really dodgy. But, like, we had to go because we were all really, really, like, concerned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we were like, we can't be pregnant as teenagers. Yeah. At this point, I didn't even know what a boy was at this point. I don't <laughs> yeah. know what I was worried about. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> sex ed in schools is very important. And I think young people, because of the success of sex education, are so much more in a position to think maturely about those things and I really hope that that project it does everything that it aims to do because it's important definitely um and what's that angle for you because I remember I saw you performing guys and dolls and you yes. were so good and I was like damn okay girl like I see you so are you ever gonna perform again or are you like set on producing now what a question I think 
basically I think you owe it to everyone to perform I think people need to see that (laughs) oh my god um I think it's really funny because um when I moved uh like out of you know when I moved into London I moved in with a couple of people that I didn't know and a couple of people that knew me really well and it sort of became this running joke because the people that knew me like had sort of had just met me were like oh you must you're so hardcore like theatre cultural arts person like you must have known all the time this is what you want to do and the people who had known me this really long time were like no she didn't want to do it but she spent all her time performing and she did all this that and the other so it's like this running joke that it was quite clear to everyone else that that was what I should have been doing with my time like professionally because I was doing it non-professionally um I love performing and I loved performing at Warwick it was such such a pleasure um I somebody else asked me this question actually recently about you know do you perform and do you perform again and my answer to them was I would love the idea of it um but I think at the moment I am so keen and ambitious to try and go into this like insane young producer that everybody is like oh my god look what she's doing and like I just I'm so ambitious in what I want to achieve I think if I have half a percent of spare energy I really want to invest that like into my career and into my practice but I do think that there hopefully might be a time where you know I'm a little bit more settled in my career and I've, I've climbed as far as I want to at that time and then hopefully I can open up that brain space and that makes it sound like I don't enjoy it anymore but I'm a very ambitious, uh, very ambitious person, and that is what I want. The same sort of thrill that I used to get from performing, mm. I now get from looking back over my work and being like, okay, okay, what else can we do? What else can we, what else can we add to the roster? So, yeah, maybe one day. I love that. I love that. You you just come across so well, and I really think that you're gonna achieve everything that you want to. Oh, I really do feel that you've got such a you've got such a go getterness about you, like. Yeah, all good is coming to you, I promise. I, can, oh, I have a knack of these things. I know these things. You've got it <laughs> like, in you. <laughs> I, I want to I caveat it with, in my day job, there are so many errors I make. I come across as somebody that, like, I'm talking about, oh, I did this thing. I went with this human rights organisation. Every day, I make a list of things. I'm like, oh, crikey. <laughs> that, wasn't, that wasn't ideal, was it? But um, that kind of, you know, it comes back to what I said, like, at the beginning of this recording of, like, having people that are willing to mm. let you grow and develop through those opportunities is really important Definitely. because you're going to make mistakes and that any new job and any position if you've done your work you know if you've done your vocation for 20 years but you suddenly end up in a new venue in a new job role yeah it's yeah, gonna be definitely you need space to fail because you're oh, gonna no. fail a lot exactly okay the final question I ask everyone and um, to wrap it up is what do you think people should talk more about and what do you think people should talk less about I actually am so glad that when I saw that you know that this question might be included I was really really happy because it's a real bugbear of mine um and I'm ready to tell people that they need to stop talking about it um so really big thing that I noticed in my master's and I sort of looked back and realized that it's something that had been said all the time was people saying oh I just kind of fell into theatre or like oh this thing I'm you know I'm here to talk about this festival that I run it just kind of (laughs) just kind of happened and really used to frustrate me because I was like that's what you do like if you're sat here trying to tell us about as early career producers what you're doing how is that helpful for us to be like oh oh I'm just gonna happen like that's not helpful for anyone and then I got my job in comedy and podcasts and I thought it would be very easy for me to go it just happened because that's how it felt to me but what that really lacks is critical thinking Mm. because the nothing happens completely out of the blue and even though as far as I was concerned I had these blinkers on I was like I I don't care about comedy I don't know anything about podcasts I'm gonna do this I'm gonna do this one of the first like part-time jobs that I got was because I wanted to work in in a venue I worked in a venue that did comedy fringe theatre so then when the interview came around for my job at Plosive right at the top of my CV was that I'd recently worked in a venue that did comedy um you know and all it takes is sort of five minutes of critical thinking to sort of look back through those opportunities and it also like in the moment you need to take note of those opportunities sort of as and when they arise so that when you do get the opportunity or some young person or mid-career person you don't have to be young to be starting out a career in the arts when somebody asks you how did you get to where you are that you have a critical and coherent Mm. answer because it is privileged just to be like oh I just kind of ended up here because no even if it's that 
you know, oh, I was really lucky that I got a loan to, you know, my family were able to give me a loan to do this, but I was interested in it because of this book that I read at school or it's all that things. And I think we're very, those of us in work are incredibly lucky to be in work and we have a responsibility to really understand like how it is that we got here so that when the opportunity arises to mentor young people or people hoping to enter the industry, that as I say, we have a productive answer, not just, oh, and I woke up one day and I was the artistic director of this company. No, you weren't. <laughs> you weren't. So, yeah, I think people should talk less about luck and more about, you know, their actual career path. Yeah, definitely. I think that lack of transparency, it will only gatekeep. will only <clears throat> gatekeep these opportunities. Yeah. And then, you I'm, know, the, place, the, yeah. the, the, the playing field is going to be the same privilege, the same white, the same, yeah. you know, whatever. And it's, it's most of the time, it's not intentional. It's not intentional at yeah. all. But it's either because you've been in your career so long that you kind of get settled in it and then someone asks you, oh, how did you get here? And you think, oh, God, like, how? Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes people sort of say it as a, as, as, a, as a thing of being like, oh, you just have to remain open to opportunities and stuff. And that is true. Like, you do have to remain yeah. open to opportunities. But you can't give that advice at, the, like, the cost of yeah. not saying... Because you wouldn't have... No one gets a role completely out of the blue no one gets a role with absolutely no experience even though you look at me and you think you don't you know I didn't have that much experience in comedy and I didn't have that much experience in podcasts but I had done this and I had done this and I had done this so it's important for us to connect those dots for ourselves so that we can describe what our talents and attributes are like if you're looking for work being able to look at those transferable skills and connect them is really an important skill but for other people and I do think we ha- I, I feel the very, very heavy weight of responsibility of um, I can't believe that I'm here getting to do what I do. And it's incredibly important to me that I be transparent about my career and help anybody else because I wish I'd had someone like me that I was following and that I knew I could have got started a lot earlier and a lot younger. But yeah. Exactly. Well, Alice, thank you so, so much. I'm sure this is going to help so many people <laughs> on their creative arts journey on their producing journey even just in career journeys I think what you said is transparent like across the board for anyone who wants to reach out to anyone about whatever position it's so mm-hmm. important that you don't just gloss over how you got there 100% and um I can send you my like social media details yeah how can people how can people reach out if they want to chat to you yeah, so across social media, um, I'm like at Alice Elizabeth Eve, but it's like shortened Elizabeth. Okay. So I'm sure you can put it in yet. I'll tag it. Exactly. Um, and yeah, please reach out. Like if you have any questions, not like, oh my God, she listened to this podcast and now she's going to have thousands of DMs. But like I say it to everyone, I'm more than happy to talk about my experience with everyone. I absolutely don't know everything, but I think one person who knows 10% is better than talking to nobody who knows 0%. Um, and I'm more than happy to talk about my experience. Um, I'm starting potentially, I've, I've been recently making some TikToks about like what it's like to work in comedy production and um, the James A. Caster girl who's really eat those up. Um, so yeah, please do reach out to me and I'm more than happy to chat about anything. So perfect. Thank you so, so much. Thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed this chat. Thank you so much again to Alice for joining me on this week's episode. All of her socials are linked in the podcast description if you would like to reach out. Um, But apart from that, have a lovely, lovely week. I hope you learned something. And if you ever want to reach out, you can find me at notanogthoughtpod. So that's at N-O-T-A-N-O-G thoughtpod. I hope that helps. Okay, have a lovely time and I will speak to you next week. Okay, bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.